Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Today, I shall be taking you back in time to 1981 to a film by director Brian De Palma, who some of you may know him for his work on the 1983 film Scarface, the 1976 classic adaptation of Stephen King's Carrie, or even the 1987 film The Untouchables. All decent films in their own right. But this one I have never seen, ever before. I discovered it because Criterion Collection in the UK have released a new Blu-ray of it. And I thought I'd just take the plunge. It's got John Travolta in it. I'd heard about it before. People had mentioned it to me in passing. But I'd never watched it before. So I decided to take the plunge and see what it was about. And I saw like the cover, the cover that Criterion have given the Blu-ray release is very... It's got John Travolta sat in a lot of confusion and angst. with surrounded by lots of film tape and you know recording tape and such in like an editing room kind of scenario. I looked it up and I and it's all about like listening in on conversations and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, oh god, is this another like 1974 the conversation? Because I would I'll do a review of the conversation at some point uh, probably in the future. But the 1974 film The Conversation by Francis Ford Coppola is really, in my opinion, it's the Godfather of espionage. And by that I mean it's very boring. And no offence, I can you know. I staggered through Apocalypse Now. I enjoy Apocalypse Now. I actually quite like that one. That's one of you like and The Cotton Club by Francis Ford Coppola. I watched The Godfather, but it's it's just genuinely like it's well made, but it's so boring. And that's the thing I would say about the conversation. It's a very boring film, very slow and drab. And I thought initially Blowout being about John Travolta overhears a conversation he shouldn't have heard. And you're like, oh, God. This is going to be just a 1980s reboot of the conversation. But I sat down, I watched it, and I pleasantly enjoyed it, actually. I really enjoyed the film. Uh, So just to give you sort of a rundown, as I just said, John Travolta stars in the film as a character called Jack Terry. He's a sound engineer, sound man, who's currently in the process of the narrative that we're watching. Uh, He's creating sounds and mixing music, the soundtrack for, and all the foley for a film project that he's working on. Particularly, there's the, we come back to this constant thing of Jack needing to find uh, the perfect scream then. Because uh, there's a scene in this, I think it's like a, it looks like a cheap B-movie really, to be honest. But it's got this girl being mass- hunted down, stalked by this crazed serial killer. And it, there's a point where this girl is in the shower and she screams. And obviously the scream of the actress is really bad. So that's why Jack has to find a better scream and at points in the film you see act- like voice actresses come in and do screams for that particular scene to try and sync it up and it doesn't quite work and I'll come back to that later as we get into it. So from now on guys this is a spoiler based review if you haven't watched it please go and watch it now I will be discussing some certain plot points and what I enjoyed and all the bits and pieces in between about blowout. So Jack Terry, as I just said there, yeah, he's on the hunt for some new sounds for this film he's working on. Not just the scream that he needs to replace, but just other soundtrack elements as well. And he's out late at night, and he's recording, and all of a sudden, he witnesses and has recorded on audio tape a car crash which involves and ended up and resulted in the death of a prominent politician. And he ends up enthralled in this... It's kind of like an espionage style 
turn of events, really, if you ask me. Because he ends up being told by the police, oh, we don't want you, don't pursue this, don't think about it, you know, we'll take it from here. He's like, but I saw it, and, you know, we sort of go back and forth between him wanting to expose the truth and sell this information on and make money from it rather than just sticking to his guns and in the first place and staying out of the action completely and just having an easy life which would make a very boring film and ultimately to some blowout up is it's a uh, cat and mouse thrill ride and it keeps you on the edge of your seat throughout the entire film i honestly i thought i was going to be bored stiff by it because i had a i've read one line of the the blurb of the blu-ray and i thought oh god I've made a mistake here. It's going to be boring, but it it really wasn't. It was very interesting, very engaging. And Brian De Palma as a director, he really does a cracking job in terms of the cinematography. So just to break this down again, so we've got John Travolta as Jack Terry, our film sound man. Uh, he witnesses a car accident and he comes into contact with, he ends up saving the life of this young woman played by Nancy Allen, who plays a character called Sally. Now, they obviously... In true 80s fashion, they are naturally perfect fit for a romance coupling, a love interests pairing, then shall we say, of this film. And they do go on to you know, find romance as the film goes on. Nancy Allen, funnily enough, for anyone who is a fan of Brian De Palma's work, or even just the film Carrie in general, she actually stars in Carrie as the character of Chris, one of the main bullies uh, who bullies Carrie. And in fact, actually, she's quite closely associated with the character of Billy, <laughs> who was played by none other than John Travolta. Brian De Palma obviously knew who he liked to work with, and he picked out these two. It's also got, I thought, who's it? It's got John Lithgow in it as well. At one point, John Lithgow stars, and he's done quite a lot of other roles in many, many films. He's such a varied actor. I think he's he's portrayed, I want to say he's portrayed Winston Churchill in The Crown, I think, off the top of my head. Um, but he's definitely done quite a lot of period-based roles as well as, you know, general, uh, I think there's comedic roles as well. I believe he's in Daddy's Home, if I remember correctly. I think he plays one, like, Will Ferrell's dad, I think, or someone's dad. But point being is, he got John Lithgow, Nancy Allen, John Travolta, they're all in there, really good, all-star cast, really, if you ask me. John Lithgow's like this under, like this mass murderer, as it happens, as it turns out to be, who's killing various young women in a certain kind of way. And that's an ongoing mystery that goes out throughout the film. And that's the thing I do appreciate about the narrative of this film. Whilst you could just follow John Travolta trying to expose this political assassination that goes on, you really engage with the fact that you got that going on, but then you've got all these double-crossing turns at each corner really to be honest with you and then you've got the romance subplot with nancy allen's character sally i i just think overall it's a very enjoyable film but to break it down a bit further specifically i there's a shot later so i think it's during the moment right at the beginning of the film when travolta witnesses the accident he's out late at night it's really dark he's got his sound recorder on his tape recording and all of a sudden the accident happens as i said and if you watch that sequence it's very it's very Carrie-like, and that is why it stands out very much as a Brian De Palma film. Because if you look at Carrie, there's moments where you get that... I can't remember what the term is, but basically where it's like a split screen, but it's not because you have one group or one individual then in frame, sort of at the foreground of the frame, and someone's in the background of the frame, but they're both in focus and they're quite... like It's like a split screen but you're looking at it for a shallow depth of field, really, if that makes sense. 
it's very cinematically pleasing. It's very absurd to see two people on screen when, because obviously if you look back to, say, the film Bye Bye Birdie from the 60s, you look at films like that in the 50s and 60s where they literally put a line down the, down the middle. De Palma does that. He does do classic split screen where you have boxes on screen. He He has that in effect when John Travolta and Nancy Allen are actually on the phone to each other. He does that quite a lot in here. He does it in Carrie. He particularly uses it in Carrie mostly for the dramatic effect when the prom night all blows up and turns into flames after the pig's blood incident. But I think with this one, it's more casual and more conversational, but making it somewhat more interesting then rather than just cutting back and forth between shots of, oh, she's here, he's there. It's a little bit more engaging to see the conversation between two people in two different places on screen simultaneously. And that's what I really enjoy about Blowout as a whole is that it keeps you engaged from start to finish. Even in the slow moments, you do realise that it's a engaging film from the outset and you're not going to get bored too easily unless you're not a fan of this kind of film. I mean, I, I wasn't really... I didn't read anything into this. I didn't really know what to think of it. But when I see John Travolta, it's such a mixed bag of what he's done. I don't really... I can't help but think, oh, look, it's Danny Zuko from Greece or look, it's the guy from Saturday Night Fever. I do know him for several roles. This one, though, I think he does come into his own, though. Although I can't help but picture everybody else. like from, Because obviously it's 1981. He wouldn't have long done Grease. And he wouldn't have long done Saturday Night Fever. Or Carrie in that sense. You know, quite a small span of time. Like five-year span. Five, six years. I think he does quite a good job in setting up a new character who's very determined to move on with what he wants to do. He's trying to make his living with his film stuff that he's working on the sound team but then he gets sidetracked and drawn into this area of intrigue that is the what it happened on that night that he discovered the crash and he saved sally from drowning but ultimately you do see i I don't know because this film i call it a cat and mouse thriller but i would say it's very much in the noir style of things but a neo-noir because it's in color and the reason why the film's called blowout is because that's the thing that John Travolta is so fixated on, the blowout. So for anyone who doesn't really know what that means, it's what happens to the car tires when the car tires explode. So the car tires blow out and they literally explode. He's fixated on finding out the timing of everything because he's heard one thing, but then somebody who was also there that night took pictures and he makes an amateur film out of it, uh, out of the stills, and matches the sound picture. In a way, really, it's it's using the art of filmmaking, photography, sound design, all the elements of creativity to uncover this potential serious plot that's going on. And I think with the nighttime sequences at the beginning, and any of the sequences set at nighttime, it's very edgy, very gritty. It's set in the 90, obviously the 1980s of the time, but it's set during the city of Philadelphia. It really portrays this gritty down-to-earth place like i've mentioned and i've discussed a little bit on my decade series midnight cowboy the 1969 film now whilst this is a good like just over 10 years difference between when that film was released and when blowout came out i get the same gritty sort of effect that was created for new york city at the end of the 60s for Philadelphia in the 1980s in Blowout. They both have that similar grit and style, like you see porn-based cinemas and independent cinemas in 
grungy areas of the city you see people on the sidewalks that are as americans would call them more like the pathways saying you get that stylistic grittiness even though it's in tune with the new hollywood movement i do think that this gritty style really adds to the dramatic effect that is portrayed on screen and i think that's why going back to the split screen effect that is used in this film i think because everything's so engaging you feel like you're always watching something and they are always being watched the characters are always being watched by someone and that is us the audience and that sort of delves in and links up nicely to the paranoia based side of things the paranoia which the conversation the 1974 film which you know obviously this came just under 10 years before blowout the conversation is reliant on a lot of themes and aspects of paranoid thriller notions and thematics but i just i think blowout does it just a little bit better because the conversation just bores you to death. It's got Harrison Ford in it, but you forget it's got Harrison Ford in it. Why do you forget? Because Gene Hackman's boring. I have to be honest with you, because Gene Hackman I have great respect for in some films, but the conversation is really, really... Like, you have to be on the ball with it. Whereas I think Blowout, I'm not saying everything's spoon-fed to you, because I've mentioned before, spoon-feeding someone is not the best way for, like, storytelling. But I do think the blowout gives you just enough information for the audience to sort of grasp hold of but not too much that it means oh i can see what's going to happen and also i think it's just a genuinely fun film to watch really even though it's quite gritty in its stylistic tendencies and everything like that the relationship between sally and jack it's romantic but nothing ever goes anywhere it's not the main focus it doesn't distract from the thriller aspect of the film Whereas, you know, some things would be like, oh, let's have a, I mean, modern day cinema, we'd probably have like, oh, let's stick a, like, or or like a bad 80s film, then we'd stick like a really obvious sex scene in the middle. And it would be really cringe and really out of character for the rest of the film, because you're watching something that's a cat and mouse thriller. And then all of a sudden, there's just a big lovemaking scene, which, you know, for anyone who's a fan of that, I mean, fair dues, but the aim of the film is you're meant to be engaged with Jack Terry's character trying to find out who is behind these killings that are going on in the background but mostly he's ultimately a little bit more obsessed with gaining the notoriety at first for exposing this big political assassination and the fact that it was murder and it wasn't an accident to the worldwide press as it were you get that sense of intensity from john travolta's performance and the romance with sally is very it's not muted but it's a little bit more downplayed than it would be in say i don't know like any other 80s film if you think about basic instinct which basically a lot of that is about sex and that's also i mean that's the 1990s if i remember correctly 80s 90s it's that same era within that same span within 10 years of blowout coming out i think that the intensity of the romance in this is just the right amount it's an unspoken tension between sally and jack and it doesn't really distract from the main attention which is jack's goal to expose this or make a bit of money from this expose as it were but like i said because of the whole uh, contextually if you think about watergate and the events of the 70s and you know around and the cold war as well all the contextual elements of the film of the narrative itself that have all been bound together you know similar to 
the conversation. The conversation relies heavily on the listening in on conversations, obsessing over what people are saying, obsessing over being listened to and being the one listening in. Whereas, I don't know, John Travolta's one, because John Travolta, his backstory as a character is very, is dealt with very quickly and very briefly, but in such an effective way. He used to work for the government and he used to work as a covert agent where he used to listen listen in and put a microphone a wire as they're known and attach them to someone to go into a situation potentially dangerous situation and listen in on a conversation ready to send say for instance police or armed troops to go in and help the situation but mostly to get information out of a suspect of sorts in a particular case and obviously because the person who he had wired ended up dead in the end, he gave that up and went into sound work for filmmaking. It's a small piece of the story and it's very muted, I think. I think that wasn't as obvious to me, admittedly. That's the one sort of thing I would say. It wasn't as obvious. Like, it's there, but I think it's very much a blink and you'll miss it. If you walked out of the room to make yourself a cup of tea, which, to be honest, you shouldn't do if you watch a film properly, but if you did go out of the room for a second and you missed that bit, it wouldn't affect the story too much. So that's my only thing about that. That backstory, it wasn't 100% enclosed into it. Like, it wasn't him being like, oh, I remember back when I was this government agent, I did this and this haunts me. Because the death of this person that he had wired for this mission, it haunts him and plagues him. But at the same time, we don't see that too much in the film. It's mostly focused on Travolta's obsession with finding out the truth and getting it out there to the wider public. Which, in a way, compared to the conversation, yes, there is an aspect of obsession. Gene Hackman is obsessed, and by the end of the film, he is driven mad by this obsession of listening in on conversations and, you know, gaining a copy of the tape. And during Blowout, you get all this helter-skelter of back and forth with a tape being lost and then copied and then being traded in. And then John Lithgow's character comes along and by the end of the film, we have him positioned with Sally and Sally gets wired. Similar kind of circumstances to the way the person for Jack Terry's mission was. And yeah, he's a bit sceptical at first, but Sally's up for it. She doesn't really understand really the ramifications of that kind of field work but she goes for it anyway to and she goes under false pretenses thinking that this reporter guy is gonna meet her and they're gonna get the footage that they've made this fake film based on the pictures and the sound that jack had recorded so this film that he put together amateur film he put together get it out to the world but it turns out to be john lithgow's character and john lithgow lures sally in to get this tape because he's trying to cover his tracks because he ultimately was the one behind the assassination even though it wasn't meant to be an assassination it was just meant to be a light scare and he's on the run and he's got psychopathic tendencies i think his backstory is a little bit weak i will be honest with you his backstory doesn't we don't really get this essence of like why he kills this these women like there's a bit like in the background there's news reports of the Liberty Murders, I think they're called. And he doesn't really get much airtime in terms of that. He's, you know, we know why his involvement in the assassination and that it was it was a scare gone wrong, essentially, in mo- in, for the best part of it. But I do think that you don't really get that essence of menace there. Like, it kind of comes out of nowhere, if you get what I mean. And John Lithgow's mannerisms and portrayal of this character, they kind of remind me 
a little bit of Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. Not not in the same way at all. Like It's a strange thing to say, but if you follow me with this one, Hannibal Lecter is very benevolent and very calm, cool, collected. John Lithgow is very much like that until you get to the point where they're unleashed and they go, they attack you. Uh, that's the sort of similarity. They're very cunning, cool, calm and calculated when they want to be. But when the time comes, their sophistication is lost and they just kill in the most bloodiest way possible. Like John Lithgow's method of killing people with a wire is its frightening. It's very... It's the classic hallmark of any sort of serial killer. They've got a trademark. It's very slick and very quick and effective for what they want to do. But at the same time, you get this chilling aspect to his performance because you think he's quite calm, cool and collected. But it means that he's very cunning and very unnerving then. It unsettles the audience. When I watched it, I was quite unsettled because, you know, he could do anything at any moment, really, in my opinion. But then... And it's that aspect of he's also paranoid. You know, Jack Terry's paranoid that he's not going to get the information about this assassination out to the public. Um, Sally is, she's paranoid about being left alone or first she's quite paranoid because she doesn't want to actually (laughs) be left alone overnight. So she ends up sticking with Jack through thick and thin really, as it were. And then you've got John Lithgow's character who's, just paranoid about being found out but at the same time he's kind of calm and down to earth with the situation this sort of brings me on to my next point really the performances are unnerving there's essences of paranoia all of that stuff in there but in terms of the visuals i've mentioned the split screen already where de palma has made it his job to make his film as engaging as possible with a phone call conversation it's happening simultaneously right in front of your eyes and obviously the stylistics of a gritty philadelphia in the 1980s the way the camera looks it's very reminiscent of the way midnight cowboy looks when you're on location in new york city but this is for philadelphia i do get that sense of gritty realism in the 1980s like the 80s is normally associated with bad style bad taste of clothing and stuff really outlandish colors and bright and you know the hair and everything leg warmers and all that but i do think a lot of cinema of the 80s is very good to watch if you want to see how far the world has come or at least america in a lot of these cases has come because you look at them and you think how dirty the cities are you look at Midnight Cowboy in the 60s, so it's practically the 70s, and you look at Blowout in the 80s, and all these other films like Fame and Saturday Night Fever as well, for instance, in New York City. You look at all these American cities from the end of the 60s to like the mid to late 80s. They are all gritty and run down, and they're not really at their prime then, shall we say. If the 20s was a prime of roaring 20s and everything going but boom and up and up the rest of these decades are like the downfall before the before they go back up again and that i think is translated very nicely through some of the visuals in these wide open shots that we see we and then we get the close-ups as well i think that's another thing that brian de palma does really well it's the close-up the close-up is you know like i said we do split screen we see close-ups but it's when you get that look in the eyes and you see this happen in Carrie. Carrie, you get that slow zoom into the characters and you zoom in into their faces and you really get to see the emotions that are taking place on their face. In Blowout, I think it's the composition overall. And it's very creepy as well. I've noticed there's a 
particular shot, actually, I think it's at the beginning again, we see Travolta recording sound before the accident happens. And then we see an owl up close as well. So in the same way, you have that shallow depth of field where you have someone in front of the camera, but also someone in the background. But it's like two separate spaces fitted into one single shot. It's very creepy. And the owl also gives me like, even though this film came out way before the series came out, but like David Lynch's Twin Peaks, whenever I see owls now, I associate owls with dark, creepy outside towns like you know like the tv series Bates Motel based around the film Psycho and Twin Peaks itself and other such tv shows like that Dawson's Creek all those kind of shows where it's you're in these like small towns which are on the outskirts of in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the mountains and the forest an owl signifies quite a creepy thing in any film and if it twit in the right place, it'll be creepy. And I think it's the fact that it's the calm before the storm. And some owls can represent that. Like if it's a snowy owl, it can be quite peaceful and filled with serenity in a way and at one with nature. But then you get to see, you know, because I, I look at the owl as well. I think about Blade Runner as well. The owl in Blade Runner, is it a real owl or is it a robot owl? And the fact that the eyes are always watching you, it's like the owl knows, it's like the signal of what's to come, like the calm before the storm. Be prepared to see some serious crap go down right now because it's genuinely a very creepy element. Like why have an owl in there in the first place? Why not just create an interesting soundscape? Why visually show us this animal? I'm probably reading too much into this, but I do think that when you see animals sort of, and they come out of nowhere and they make a noise in the quiet all of a sudden, you get that essence that you're being watched. And the owl actually is quite funny because the film is all about watching people and reversing things and keeping an eye on things. And the owl actually plays a pivotal part in terms of Jack's investigation, rewinding the sound, hearing the owl go off. It's the intensity of sound and picture put together. That's what I love about Blowout. Absolutely. I'm probably overselling it a bit too much, but I really do love it. And I have to say, just to sort of conclude this, the visual style, it's the marriage between the foreground and the background. De Palma does it in Carrie with the split screen effect with the likes of Carrie staring over into the distance to shut the doors of the prom hall uh, as the fire begins to burn and blood splatters all over her face. We see the different points of view all in one shot and i think the compositions as well you know there's one particular favorite of mine is the ending sequence now spoilers ahead for anyone who hasn't seen the film already because this is a big spoiler but the character of uh sally played by nancy allen she doesn't exactly make it through till the end of the film and it does it saddens john travolta very much by the end of the film and john lithgow kills sally and jack terry doesn't make it to save her he's listening to this the entire time he's trying to get to her and he finally gets there and at the time there's like i can't remember it's not fourth of july i don't want to say it's fourth of july celebrations but like there's fireworks going off in the background john travolta is crying holding sally in his arms and i just think it's the most it's a shot that i think you could see and put into any modern day film and it would fit in perfectly it actually looks quite ahead of its time in my opinion where it's a medium close-up with you know head and shoulders you got a shot from down below as well so looking up to the sky but looking up with John Travolta and Sally in the 
foreground and in the background you've got these bright colors going off so you've got something really horrible happening in front of you john travolta's character jack being very sad and mourning the loss of his new love and obviously sally is now gone but then you've got the brightness and hope of these colorful fireworks that are going on the celebration going on behind so and obviously john lithgow's character he does meet his end because sally does give him one last killing <laughs> before before she dies she manages to kill him in the process as well and the fireworks in the background are really nice actually because they symbolize a celebration of everything's right in the world the killer's dead the assassination's going to be exposed by jack everything's all good but then the sadness in the foreground of the true emotion of the film between our two heroes jack and sally is the final thing that you're left with really and then we close the film with jack listening back to the recording of sally's voice of the little conversation they were having before she meets john lithgow to go off and give him the tape thinking he was the news reporter in the first place and he listens back to that and obviously he's recorded the entire thing including when she died and when she screamed now if you remember rightly i mentioned that he's a sound man and they were looking for the perfect scream to go into this b movie picture that he was making at the beginning well he then uses a sort of a lasting le- it's a bit creepy if you ask me but it's a lasting legacy he uses the scream of his since new now gone lover in this film he doesn't tell anyone that's who it is but he uses the scream from sally from when she died in this film he's been trying to find the perfect scream for to replace this terrible scream that the original actress did and in a way it's it's his own way and method then of keeping her legacy keeping her alive then oh yeah because lots of people say once you're on film or you're on tape you will live forever because this is you know this is lasting legacy you've been recorded and that's you for generations to come existing on film on you know on audio recording and in a way that's one way you could read into it but another way you could just say it's just downright creepy <laughs> you know he used the scream of his once now, now dead lover in a film is it a good legacy or is it just a bit creepy <laughs> i don't know what do you guys think is it is it a nice little touch to try and remember your loved one that's now dead at the hands of a serial killer or do you think it's just creepy let me know on our instagram account <laughs> but that's all i really have to say about blowout really it's sharp slick and gritty from beginning to end john travolta does a brilliant job and i think john lithgow does just an equally good job even though he's not in it as much as say john travolta is and i think nancy allen considering she was a bit of a horrible person a horrible cow in carrie she does redeem herself a little bit more in this film and i will definitely be watching this film again i would highly recommend this film to anyone who is interested in the gritty side of america especially on the cinema and in watching you know stuff like this and if you're a john travolta fan as well you should watch this i would say this is now up in my top it's in my top five john travolta films to be fair i don't know many i know a fair few films with john travolta in but i think this one sort of it's very high up on there because i love greece saturday night fever is okay but it's not my favorite face off i have watched <laughs> let's just say that i've watched face off uh, and obviously pulp fiction which i do love as well but at the same time i think blowouts now sort of come quite top i would say blowout is probably my favorite dramatic performance by john travolta what about you guys do you guys have a favorite john travolta moment in cinema is there a film you think we should review for 
John Travolta or should we do a ranking of John Travolta films? That might be something we could do for the future. Let us know on our Instagram. Keep an eye out on our Instagram stories as well because we might do a poll on that. So keep an eye out for that very shortly. But like I said, that's all I really have to say. So political assassination gone wrong all the way up to the loss of love with brilliant cinematography throughout by Brian De Palma. And if you do like Brian De Palma, if you've enjoyed Carrie, I would highly encourage you to watch this because the way the shots are all set up, Carrie is very similar in terms of the stylistics as well. But generally, if you like Scarface or The Untouchables as well, specifically in The Untouchables because of the gritty crime element of this, I would definitely give this a watch if you haven't already watched it. And if you have listened to my spoilers, well, you enjoy the film anyway. (laughs) And thank you very much for listening, guys. I look forward to bringing you another episode next week and I shall see you on the next episode soon. So, but all that's left to say is my classic line of that's a wrap on take 97, the blowout review edition of the podcast. And I shall catch you next time, guys. Thank you very much for listening. See you later.